It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 99 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. The updates kept popping up for Dead Men Tell No Tales. I caught a Forbes article yesterday which drew some distinction between the U.S. and international markets. So yeah, it looks like Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales is a hit. Well, actually, how they put it is Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales may be a modest underperformer because they did expect it to come in a little more. But Pirates of the Caribbean Salazar's Revenge, the international subtitle, now that's what we're talking about. According to Forbes, that's the monster hit. The fifth pirate movie set sail this past Memorial Day weekend with what turned out to be a superb worldwide debut. The domestic figure came in about $78.2 million for the Monday through Friday holiday, which is below the $100 million they were really kind of hoping for, that expectation. But, and this is a big but, according to the article, the Walt Disney action sequel snagged a huge $247.8 million overseas, including a whopping $92.3 million Monday through Friday through Monday, in that debut in China. So that gives a picture really a $326 million global opening weekend after its first several days in business, which is not too bad. Not too bad. Even though you didn't like it. I never said I didn't like it. What the hell? Walk the plank. <laughs> Throwing me under the bus like that? <laughs> By Pirate Code of the Brethren, I have to like it. But I just said that there's some really good points that I liked about it. There's some interesting points. And then there's some, hmm, that's how I put it, I think. Pretty close to that. Yeah, I don't like that. We're reviewing... We have to review it honestly and talk about all the different aspects. You just want me to say, our weekend bonus episode coming up with the Dead Men Tell No Tales review will be like one minute long. And most of that will just be the introduction stuff. And I'll just go, thumbs up. Yeah. And then we'll just leave it at that. All right, you guys. And we'll have to listen to me. <laughs> they are also sharing their early estimates. I mean, this is very early estimates since it just came out. Like, what would happen if kind of scenario? And so their rock bottom guess of a final global take by the time it's done making its run in theaters is $586 million. But if it does perform as did other movies or some other kind of movies in this international market that maybe have a little legs or that show some legs, it could end up in a respectful 750 to $850 million worldwide haul, which they said is very much in the cards. And it'll definitely be interesting to see where it ends up. And if it leads to the Pirate of the Caribbean 6 screen story that's been floating about, becoming an actual script and then sailing on the silver screens. So will the hull be enough to propel it into a number six? And it's interesting because Disney keeps marketing the film as the finale. And there is an end credit scene. I'm not going to get into any of that stuff. I'm just saying that there's end credits, so don't go leaving the theaters without staying through the credits. But they are almost setting things up for a six. And if it does well, we'll get that six one. But is the finale that they keep talking about a multi-part finale, it sounds like? 
Or is it the saga, this finale saga that they're talking about is really with the original crew and then they're going to hand over things Mm. to the next generation? Because we already know that some of the actors, especially Brenton, has already been, say, picked up or put under contract to star in up to number 10 if that actually becomes a reality or they decide to make it. Right. So we can discuss all that in our bonus episode. And especially since I know I don't want to interrupt your rum time. So how about we get going with Minute 99 and get going with our brief recap of the previous and current minute and then hit that most insightful analysis, that genius analysis that I have. Well, that genius analysis we bring, I should say, because it's going to be, okay, we bring to skeletons, immortal pirates, Aztec gold, and pirate action. I know you feel that you're the only one running this thing, but there is another voice. You do not make a woman's voice. I may be a little deep, but I'm not that deep. Hi, my name is Heather. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. This is Heather. <laughs> In the previous minute, the Lonely Island duo, Captain Jack Sparrow and Elizabeth Swan, break into an oh-so-famous song while putting forward their best adaptation of The Crucible. I think we all know what I'm talking about. Let's get to it. This is the tale of Captain Jack Sparrow. A mystical quest to the Isle of Tortuga. Raven locks sway on the ocean's breeze. Ah! Oh, oh, oh. Appears I got a little wrapped up there. As I was saying, really saying, in my mind at the time, Jack and Elizabeth are having a drunken blast with a pirate's life for me shanty. As we all know, first there's drunken laughter and having fun, but any rum-fueled night eventually ends in an attempt to get philosophical. Discussing trapped on an island, ships are symbols of freedom, and someone shouting really bad eggs. Because yes, Denny's is in everyone's post-drinking future. <laughs> nice adding Denny's to the show. Pirates of the Caribbean Minute is sponsored by Denny's. Yeah. Get their Grand Slam breakfast. That's really bad eggs when you get there. Minute 99 begins with Jack finishing his line, infinitely better than the last time, and the scenery has definitely improved. Elizabeth responds, I'm not entirely sure that I've had enough rum to allow that kind of talk. The minute ends with Jack waking up in the morning to Elizabeth throwing rum barrels on a fire. A fire she made from the rum cache and has subsequently caught the above palm trees on fire. Jack yells, no, not dot dot dot. Well, I thought we'd get the ball rolling with Elizabeth revealing her disgust for this entire situation. Specifically Jack. Her face says it all as he pulls... From the bottle before passing out in that nighttime bonfire scene. That romance there. Well, she's kind of giving him a bit of a little flirting look here. No, but she does. But then as soon as he starts to completely drink the rest of the rum that's in that bottle, his head is all the way back. It's it's all going down the the chugger. You mean when he passes out? (laughs) Yeah, right before that. You can see that she gets this really disgusted look on her face. There's that, I really hate this excessive drinking kind of deal. Or the disgust that he was actually considering putting the moves on me. (laughs) Well, I mean, he did get some moves in before falling over. He did get the hand around the shoulder, the finger kind of tapping deal. But I think most of the whole disgust here is from his apathy. That he just doesn't care if he leaves the island or not. Yeah. She's just disgusted at this whole thing. It's just all this buildup. She's so annoyed that now the little things are... Just bothering her. You know, like the little things of, 
a pirate getting drunk. I mean, this is a pirate for God's sakes. That's what they do. Pirate getting fresh with her. Come on, it's a pirate for God's sakes. Didn't I just say it was a pirate? <laughs> what does she expect? This is 18th century too. What about when he, he plays with his mustache and kind of arranges it or smooths it out? Yeah, because he's getting prepared. He's like, I'm <laughs> What's she lucky. thinking about that? Since you're on the woman's she's, side here today. She's thinking, God, this is disgusting. But why is she thinking that when he's a pirate? That's what pirates do. I mean, he's completely indifferent to their situation. This whole solution for him is a wait and see. But it's all from the bottom of a bottle. Well, I think he's just on a vacation. Well, he is on a vacation. If you listen to the previous minute, I think I said that they were on a... One of the previous minutes that they were on a nice little vacation getaway. But he's not doing anything. He is on vacation. She's got things to do. He wants to sit by the beach, lounge around and drink rum and Mai Tais and lava flows and everything else. And get, She's a, like, get his love on. I want to go shopping. I got to see the sights. I want to whatever else. Go jewelry shopping. And he's like, I don't want to do that, lady. She just doesn't want anything of that. She's just so disgusted. She's disgusted <laughs> in her man. <laughs> Our pirate man. Yeah. But she does. She's the one who takes action. It's this do what it takes to get the job done kind of person. And sitting back and watching is not her style. No. Especially not right here. I mean, this was actually established in the beginning of the movie when she takes charge of Port Royal. Well, this whole Port Royal pirate attack. I mean, she didn't like take charge from her dad. She's like, Dad, you're impeached. I'm stepping in. No, she didn't do that. (laughs) But she took kind of charge during the pirate attack from her point of view, right? I mean, she goes to negotiate with Barbosa. There's no hesitation there. Then at the end of the minute, we discover she, again, is not sitting idly by. But she's actually now bet everything on black. Everything the is black on black. pearl? Or red. Red for fire, maybe. I went black for ash. Mm-mm. But maybe she bet it all on red for yeah. fire. Yeah. So she bet it all on something. Put it on double zeros. Whatever. Your favorite roulette number. She put it all on there. And then she decides to send the smoke upwards for anybody to see. But it's interesting that... As a take-charge person, she's still fighting the powers that be regarding her place in society. It's like her pressures from her dad regarding Norrington. Perhaps these other situations provide maybe the outlet for her. So she gets all this pressure from her dad. But here, or in Port Royal, she can kind of step up and be that strong woman that she really is inside. And these these situations provide her that outlet for her to express her true self when she has to hold back. On other things like marrying Norrington. Well, being pirate gives her that freedom. She doesn't have to abide by all the constraints of her real world. No, that's true. But she's not really she's pirate on. yet, though. On the adventure she's on, the pirate adventure she's on, she does not have to be held to the constraints of Port Royal or being the, you know. She's that's right. She's got a vacation from her normal life. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's her freedom. That's very true. This yes. is her free moment. And that's to get why out of she's there. toasting to freedom. <laughs> yeah, actually, and, that's a good and point. Jack is toasting to the Black Pearl. Yeah, that's right. Because freedom is the ship and all that kind of stuff. But poor Jack. I mean, not only did he get lucky last night, or <laughs> not lucky, I should say. <laughs> he got lucky that he got to hold her for a bit, but he didn't get lucky anything else. No. He wakes up to find his rum is going up in smoke. She's really been orchestrating this plan ever since he gave her the bottle and basically showed her the rum. She knew she was in deep trouble. Yeah. Deep Shiite. A pirate who likes to drink now has this cache of rum and there's only one person on the island that really likes to drink. He's, he's in heaven. He's in heaven. Until she burns it all. That's right. 
I mean, it can probably be argued that he gave her the idea to burn the rum. She asked, what should they do? And he then, what, hands her the bottle? What else is she supposed to think? What are we (laughs) supposed to do here on the island? And then he hands her the bottle. It's clearly right there. So it might just be all a big misunderstanding. Oh, I thought you wanted me to use the rum as a signal for a passing ship. (laughs) I completely misunderstood what you were doing there. She can, you know, she can use that as her excuse. Exactly, she can. Because he gave her the rum and she's, you know. Yeah, he he gave it to her. Rum's flammable. He showed her the big bonfire, what that was like. Yeah, it's all good. But there is one problem that I saw with the fire. Was it throwing at the barrels like she was He-Woman? That, you're damn right that is. (laughs) That's exactly. Elizabeth Swan is seen throwing a barrel onto the fire. It's not really a barrel because it's rum. It's like a cask. Okay. Okay. Now, I would have given her the benefit of the doubt that the cask was empty. I would have just given it to her. Like, okay, she emptied it. She's throwing it on the fire. Because that is really how she's able to really give it this good heave onto the fire. Yeah. If it's empty, that's what my thoughts were. Right. But the fact that just after she throws it onto the fire, that there's like a small explosion that happens. Yeah. Leads me to believe that this cask was intended to be full. And I I guess, see, it's a small cask. It's not a big wine barrel type cask thing. It is a small one. Yeah. But the sucker's still got to be heavy. And I don't see Elizabeth working out all that much with weights. I'm glad you asked these questions because, (laughs) oh, yeah. I went there. Oh, you got the weight? We know that Elizabeth, yeah, is a strong woman. She's a strong woman inside. But now she's not just mentally strong, but she's physically strong. And I think, how appropriate now that we can actually, we can compare her to the upcoming Wonder Woman movie that arrives in theaters this week. Elizabeth may be part Amazon. Elizabeth (laughs) may be Wonder Woman. That's just a, that's just not, it's not even a hypothesis yet. I'm just throwing it out because she really is strong. I did check in on the entire world of barrels and casks. Yeah, a little light reading. This is how I spend my free time. Just doing a bit of research to see how strong Elizabeth really is. You have to do the math sometimes. So this doesn't include the weight of the cask itself. So there's no wood going on here. It's just liquid. For the math here, and I used 80 proof rum... In my gallon to pound conversion rate, which is actually 7.84 for everybody out there. Water, by the way, is like 8.35 oh, really? pounds per gallon. Yeah, alcohol. A little bit lighter. Huh. So you got the rum. 80 proof. Just so everybody you can call me out if you're saying, well, which rum did you use? Yeah, it's 80 proof. 80 proof rum. There are way more sizes of cask and barrels than I had actually ever imagined. Or that maybe we even typically see, say, when we're running around Napa, for instance. <laughs> I thought there were only one size. (laughs) That's where you're wrong. There are 10 English wine, and I used English because English. You're right, yeah. There are 10 English wine cask units that span from holding four gallons all the way up to 252 gallons. If we just take the smallest of the cask, which is called a pen, the pen. Which is a four gallon? Which is the four gallon, has a four gallon capacity. That alone is approximately 31 pounds, not including the wood. Is it possible for Elizabeth to throw that cask? More than 30 pounds as far as she did onto the fire. And as high as she did. That's what I'm saying. Did she really do that? But here's the bigger question. It's not just throwing it. Let alone for her to move all of those other barrels that we see there. Some of them were big. Assuming that this is an actual barrel. 
what is called a barrel, the pen. So there's different sizes, which the actual barrel is like a normal size well, that this you would one see at a winery. Holds, no, this one only holds 32 gallons. Okay. So it's not like some of the big boys. Okay. And this one, because I chose this one because I didn't want to get overboard. I didn't want to be degrading the movie, especially Heather, Heather's saying, Oh, you didn't like Dead Man's Chest. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me get her voice. Hey, you didn't like Dead Man's Chest. I want to also point oh, out. Dead Men Tell. Damn it. Dead Men Tell No Tales. Oh, I screwed that up because I. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> That's okay. I was, I was kind of ignoring you and going on with my own thing because you were making fun of my voice. I also wanted to point out that all this rum is actually down a little stair thing down in the basement of the island. Exactly. So if I take just a barrel, which is 32 gallons, which weighs at a minimum of 250 pounds with the rum conversion rate, unless she emptied it before moving out the other cask, still, could she have moved the barrels out of the cache area? I mean, an empty barrel is probably in the 80 pound range. Is my guess. If I had to use imperial units instead of U.S. gallons, that would we'd probably go up a little bit. So I didn't. For all you purists out there, yeah, I used English barrels and casks, but I did use U.S. gallons. I probably should have used imperial gallons, just slightly a little bit more. So it would have been a little bit heavier. So could she have moved those up the stairs? All that, especially full. I can see. Okay, if they were on flat ground, she could roll them, possibly. Yeah. Okay, they'd roll. But actually getting them up those stairs into that pile, yeah, no. That's a lot of work. It just seems... And throwing that one, just throwing that one up in the air as high as she got it and as far as she got it. There's no way. We can test this. I mean, we can have you throw a 30-pound object. I'm stronger than Elizabeth. (laughs) I am Wonder Woman. Shiver me timbers. I don't even know what to say with that without getting in trouble. So I'll just really? let that go. Yeah, I'll just let that go. I mean, unless she's tricked Jack into moving all the rum barrels while he was drunk and helping her. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. I don't think that that's really, Maybe that's why he's so tired. You, you would actually have to um, show that in the movie because that'd be that awful funny. Yeah, that she got him to trick him to do that. Yeah. Now, she could have told Jack this cash would be mighty good place to hang out just you and me (laughs) and then he was johnny on the spot moving all those barrels emptying the rum getting them up that little stairway putting them in the fire and he doesn't even know it and then she put him back on the beach exactly that's possible might be the only possibility there yeah (laughs) (laughs) because there's no way (laughs) that kind of leads us to this really great cinematography setup in this minute and that's the close-up of jack sleeping off his rum hangover or maybe he's actually just preparing for another day of drinking. Maybe it's a glass half full, glass half empty perspective. Shot glass, bottle, bottle. cask, however Onion you want to put bottle. It. Onion bottle. So the point, a close-up of Jack sleeping on the beach is really a sound move by Verbinski, I thought. Because at the beginning, we only see that Jack is pleasantly sleeping on the beach. All is quiet and serene. And maybe what we believe is smoke coming from their nighttime smoldering fire yeah. that's left. We can take away all that being stranded on an island... All that other stuff. But all is good at this particular moment. They're on vacation. Exactly. But he awakens to the smell of smoke, which causes him to jump up. And then we kind of get that opened up shot to reveal this peaceful, secluded beach is actually bustling with action. A roaring fire with a plume stretching high into the sky. Palm trees are on fire. It's the exact opposite of where we were His originally peaceful led. nap. Exactly. It does seem like he's dreaming a bit, though. Well, I'm sure he's dreaming. But of then sweet you Elizabeth. realize that <laughs> he was smelling the smoke. 
This form of shot actually produces a sense of importance, I think, to the minute. And this is kind of like movie making close up stuff. So the apparently insignificant day on Rum Runner's Isle and you're hidden out of our reach is Elizabeth Swan, who's implementing a plan of escape. So the close up allows Verbinski to reveal something that would have been immediately seen with a normal range shot. We would have just seen that fire going right. on. So the close up is really a nice touch. And I yeah. thought it was carried out pretty well. Yeah. And in this minute, the close-up really shows us a sense of importance for what's happening. Because at the micro level, Jack has accepted his fate. And this is where I get my little philosophical symbolism stuff going. Because I have to include that. So we get the micro level Jack has accepted his fate. At least for the moment, anyways, we can say. And is effectively hidden on the island from the rest of the world. But however, at the macro level, a smoke signal is a giant beacon in the sky. And is announcing to the world that someone is on the island. Two people are on the island. Yes. Well, one person and a pirate. Yeah. There you go. So that's how I think it works, right? One person and a pirate? I thought that was a girl, a guy, in a pirate shop. <laughs> <laughs> two, two, bo- two guys, a pirate, in a pizza shop, or however that goes. <laughs> Pirates eating pizza. They may that enjoy was- that. They probably never had pizza. I'm sure. Well, come on. Pizza is, you know, of pizza course, bacon is, is bacon is well, it's the food, the of, the food of the gods, but pizza is right behind it. You also are forgetting that Jack is drunk, and by that standard, pizza increases its delectability oh, yeah. by a factor of 100. Yeah. So pizza just may send him in this euphoric state. Yeah. Maybe that's why he was dancing around the fire like he was. They had pizza. <laughs> They're dancing around. He's all excited. Pizza, pizza. He's like, we could go to Denny's and get some really bad eggs, or we could have pizza. Oh, yeah. Go for the pizza. Sorry, Denny's. So that's all I really got. And it's some symbolism at the end, a little bit. And I really didn't want to get into it too much. I don't know. Maybe I'm just ready to to go or something. I have no idea. (laughs) Plus, you... You degraded my sensibilities in the opener when you just basically said that I gave Dead Men Tell No Tales a bad review, which I didn't. And I felt slapped well, down. You didn't give it a A++. You don't know what I gave because we didn't do a review yet, did I? No. Okay, then. So how dare you? So we'll be leaving to tonight with the panicking Jack saying, no, not. Da, da, da. Exactly. And his rum burning up in smoke. So Is yeah, this the th- first time we've seen Jack panic? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I think maybe panic to that extent, but yeah. he was nervous when he was going to be going back on the island. Right. When but this is actual say, panic. He's like... This is big stuff here. This isn't rum. Your I mean, rum this is, is... See, that's why he wasn't overly panicking when he was on the ship. Because Barbosa is going to throw him onto the island. He's like, you know, there's a lot of rum there. I might just be okay. Now Elizabeth's burned it. Now imagine this. If he had... If the rum runners that came there last time to pick him up had taken all the rum off the island and he knew that there was no rum left, right. he'd be panicking when Barbosa was going to make him walk the yeah. plank. He'd have pledged his service to Barbosa. He'd have done anything. <laughs> but that's why he didn't. So no blood, no ending on bloodiness or any of that stuff. It's just, just straight up pirate Jack. and panicking Jack and talking about rum. So I guess that's all right. Yep. So we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 100, a milestone, our 100th Woo-hoo! episode of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, 
Let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Now get me my rum, Grog. Whatever. I'll take anything. What's that, Banjo? Heather's been drinking at the Faithful Bride Tavern? Take me to her, buddy. Blimey. Passed out in the mud with the pigs? Again? This sty is your second home. Heather, wake up. The show's done and you're supposed to tell everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. Banjo, get me a bucket. Hey, Scallywags, while Banjo's getting some water to wake up Heather, it's time I say thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook and Twitter. If you're interested in our best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are at blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy.